Hello and welcome to Voice Box, Public Radio's weekly series all about the art of the human voice. I'm your host, Chloe Veltman, and I've got something a little different for you tonight. Ventriloquism. Yes, ventriloquism and ventriloquism on the radio. And as we'll soon find out, this medium and that art form share quite a bit of history. We'll get into the relationship between radio and ventriloquism in a bit. And we'll also look at things like what it takes to throw your voice and why singing and ventriloquism don't necessarily mix all that well, even though there are some artists out there who combine the two skills. But first, I'd like to introduce three wonderful studio guests to you this evening. Sean Owens, Ron Coulter and Sid Starr. Hello, gents. Thanks for joining me. Hi hi there. Good. Good to be here. Wonderful to see you. So maybe I'll get the uh, three of you to just tell us a little bit about yourselves. Well, I'm Ron, and I'm a ventriloquist and have been for 50 years. In fact, uh, Sid and I, whom you'll be meeting in a moment, have been working ever since we were the same age. Yeah, we were working ever since we were both 13. My goodness. Yeah. But you, um, yeah. you look like you're still 13. Well, I'm so. still 13. Wow, you're like Peter Pan. <laughs> yeah, he isn't. Uh, <laughs> Coulter's not 13, yes. Uh, but uh, so why do you continue to work with him? What's the attraction of it? Who knows? I just sit there. (laughs) What can I say? Well, to ask what you should say is uh, how much you enjoy working with me. Yeah. You know, he always says that. Right. Well, yeah. yeah, So you won't think he's the dunny. (laughs) Stop it, Sid. Okay. Well, Sean, what what about you? Let's hear a little Uh, bit about your life. I guess I'm here to clean up after the elephants is what I'm here to do this evening. Um, I resent that. Oh, (laughs) I wasn't talking about you, you, Sid. You've seen our act. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I have, as a matter of fact. Okay. Um, And I'm here as a a voice of San Francisco theater, I suppose, and also just to lend my specious knowledge on the subject of vaudeville and the various arts that participated there. Okay, so Sean, uh, just to elaborate on what he just said, uh, is a wonderful comic playwright in San Francisco and uh, somewhat of a an impresario of vo- the vaudevillian arts and it was as a result of a conversation I was having with Sean who is developing right now a, a plan to open a theatre in San Francisco dedicated to vaudeville types of performance with through talking to him that uh, that we began to speak about Ron and, and Ron and Sid are here in the studio tonight so I have to thank you Sean for your fantastic introduction Absolutely I'm glad to see all of you So a question for you Ron and Sid, what were your... Th- wait, wait, wait. Ron or Sid? Ron or Sid, yeah. You said Ron and Sid? Well, either uh, Who way, are you talking to? Oh. I'm talking to both of you. You can't do that. Why not? Well, it's confusing to us. Well, how would you like We've me to We've got our to? own problems. Yeah, what? Do, what? You, do you want me to say, you want me to say Ron and Sid or Ron or Sid? Well, we just don't know who you're talking to. If you just... Is, are you directing the question to Sid or to Ron? To both, me? both of you. I think either one of you can answer. Oh, okay. Okay, so here's good my question. Good luck. All right, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, good luck. It's, okay. your, it's your show. All right, it is my show. Yeah, go it ahead. Is. Um, so, look, I want to know, when um, when I first approached you uh, about doing a show about ventriloquism on the radio, what did you think? Well, it's old news. 
Yeah. Uh, our heroes, when we were kids, uh, I'm still a kid. Okay, okay. <laughs> when we were kids, um, was Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy on radio. Um, by the way, Edgar is Candace Bergen's father. Right. And she has written a biography called Knock on Wood about her experiences of growing up with uh, Edgar, his father, her father, and with Charlie. Yeah, I gather that some of those experiences were not altogether healthy. It's very interesting (laughs) (laughs) biography. At any rate, um, in vaudeville, his lips were very good. But in later years, doing radio, he didn't try to hide the lips because it doesn't, it doesn't work as well in per, when in radio than in person. Right. And so he um, tr- his lip control got very bad, but he was a great writer, a great puppeteer. Uh, Charlie became so major that he st- got all the attention. And so he created other puppets. And then Candace even tried to get attention. <laughs> so, oh yeah, you know, it's interesting to me that, you know, he worked in vaudeville. He even had a job for a while in one real movie shorts. But the medium where he excelled was the radio, which is mm-hmm. the last place you'd think yeah. that ventriloquism would really work. And I guess there are, you know, reasons for that that we'll get into during the course of the show. Um, now, what about uh, how familiar are you with the British counterparts of um Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, the Peter Bruff and Archie Andrews, who were about around the same time, were creating a big splash too. I don't know much about them at all. I know about a few. I have a f- but more contemporary British ventriloquists that I admire. So around, so you tell me. Yeah. So around <laughs> around the time when when Edgar and Charlie were huge news over here in the states, um, there were Peter Bruff, uh, who was the ventriloquist, and an Archie Andrews, who was his cantankerous young. Puppet. Yes. And um, the duo had their own radio show called Educating Archie. I mean, it's in its heyday in the 1950s, it netted 15 million listeners ah. and boasted appearances by many top tier UK celebrities, um, including a preteen song thrush by the name of Julie Andrews, who was on the show ah, a few times. Yeah. Well, okay. And Archie was the big celebrity of the show, not the, uh, the ventriloquist. Right. Um, uh, there was Archie merchandising and, you know, even an Archie fan club, which had 250,000 members. So, so I'm curious to know um, how much of an influence on you personally were, were Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, and maybe some of those other ventriloquists from way back when. I only knew about it as a kid. I only knew about Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, and yeah. um, and then I actually then years went by. I finally saw them in person, and uh, but that was very late in his life, uh-huh. and um, I love them. And uh, I I work with a smart alecky uh, Hollett. <laughs> don't go there. Okay. It's a little early in the show for that, don't you, you think? You think so? <laughs> oh? I don't think so. Or a little late in their careers. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is more like so, couples counseling the longer I yeah. listen. Yeah. So, you know, some ventriloquists have uh, multiple puppets yeah. and characters mm-hmm. like, like Edgar Bergen did. Uh, Mortimer Snurd and Effie Klinker and others. And um, I've tried to do that, but Sid just won't let me do it. Oh. Yeah, I can't stand the competition. Well, Charlie's never been in better condition. He's a fashion plate with his midnight blue full-dress suit, top hat and monocle, and a blue-white butterfly tie and dress shirt. Yeah, it's P.K. P.K. tie and shirt. Yeah, shot with gravy. <laughs> <laughs> and now a word for the champion, Mae West. We've heard so much about you, Miss West. Won't you say a word? Well, all I've got to see, say is where there's smoke, there's fire. Wow. <laughs> Boy, she burns me up. <laughs> There's nothing I'd like better than the aroma of Brennan Wood. I wonder if she means me. You better watch out, Charlie. 
Say, Charlie, do you smell that perfume? Yeah. Isn't it ravishing? Yes, it is. It's ravishing. It's weakening. So help me, I'm swooning. <laughs> what is it? Why, it's my favorite perfume, Ashes of Men. Uh-oh. <laughs> Mr. Brower, the man from the toilet is here. Oh, good, good. That'll be the six suits I ordered. Uh, I'm going to put them on. You're going to look a bit of a Charlie in six suits. <laughs> Why don't you wear just one and an overcoat like other people? Oh, now, don't be ridiculous, Grimble. I'm going to have a fitting. Now, go and bring the man in. Uh, yeah, Brown, you're living it up a bit, aren't you? Six suits? Why, I ordered those before we went to Australia, my boy. That was five months ago. Well, I hope they fit you. You know, you put on a bit of weight round the middle since then. Oh, of course they'll fit me, Archie. I haven't put on a pound since I left school. Yeah, and you haven't spent one either, have you? <laughs> oh, good morning, all. I come from your tailor, Mr. Norman Artburn. Oh, yes, yes, yes. If you've just joined us, hello. This is Voice Box with me, Chloe Veltman. We're chatting about the art of ventriloquism. With me in the studio are ventriloquist Ron Coulter and puppet Sid Starr, as well as theatrical impresario and comic playwright Sean Owens. We just heard excerpts by two of the English-speaking world's most popular ventriloquists of the 20th century, Edgar Bergen and Peter Brough, who all had huge successes on the radio, bizarrely enough. The artists were at work with their dummies, respectively Charlie McCarthy and Archie Andrews. First up, we listen to a snippet from 1937 of Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy on the Chase and Sanborn Hour with special guest Mae West. And then we heard a bit of Peter Broff and Archie Andrews talking about tailoring on BBC in 1957. So, um, this is a question for all of you, if I may address it to all of you. What makes, uh, to your mind, acts like the ones we just heard successful on the radio. I mean, surely you have to be able to see a ventriloquist in order to appreciate his or her skill. I think it's the development of personality and contrasting personalities and um, the difference in voices. And, and when the audience knows that that's being done by one person, it just adds to the fun because the, it's like they're in on a joke and the ventriloquist doesn't know, the, or the puppet, they don't, they don't know that there's this sort of symbiotic uh, relationship. <laughs> okay. That's fun. Yeah. And, and excuse me, my work with the ventriloquism has been to break that down a lot, mm-hmm. um, which we can talk, talk about later, because uh, Sid knows that we're related and, and kinds of strange things go on mentally. That's why you have movies about murderous ventriloquists and killer dummies and things like this. You know, I'm glad you broached that subject. I was afraid that that was taboo between... Uh, uh, a ventriloquist and his and his puppet. Not at all. No, no. Uh, you know, I was thinking about that. You know, Anthony Hopkins did that film Magic, in which yeah. he played. A, uh, there have been several. I think Twilight Zone episodes have mm-hmm. have veered on the side of you know the the killer ventriloquist or the dummy itself having mm-hmm. somehow possessed powers. You, you know, there are people who don't do not like the puppetry. I have my, have a, my grandson hates Sid. I mean, it really doesn't like Why? to be around. And there are other people. Who, who don't like to be around, you know, like some people don't like clowns. Mm-hmm. Because they're sinister. Well, yeah, or differ, or just sort of don't know how to relate to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very, when I work with ch- very small children, I'm very careful how Sid is introduced. I t- will come on alone and say, you know, I, I, p- I have a doll I play with. You have dolls? Does your doll talk? Mm-hmm. Would you, I have a doll. Would you like to see my doll? It talks and... So, so you're very careful to them. set it up as not this this small this, golem creature yes, that you've magically exactly. brought to life. Yeah. 
Hmm. I think it's it's really interesting because, um, you know, I don't think anybody ever thought of Jim Henson and Kermit in that same mm-hmm. evil, you know. That's they're, true. They were very lovable always. And uh, Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop. Mm, and yeah. there is a small difference, I think, between the puppet versus the, mm. the, the ventriloquist art. It, one other funny thing I've noticed in doing youth camps, like out in the woods, there's often big dogs wandering around. I've learned the hard way that the dog to be very careful because the dog will see us talking up here we come down the aisle and stand there and completely confused by what's happening and sometimes get, become very assertive and very aggressive wow oh, isn't that strange that's right. I don't know how that worked out yeah, it's yeah. hard to work that into an act isn't it huh? I don't know maybe you should get a dog involved it might be interesting <laughs> why know. not we have a, a whole new dynamic we have a duck you have a duck <laughs> yeah oh. uh, didn't bring car though Oh, all right. Um, Let's go back in time a little bit more. Ron, I would love to hear uh, some of your knowledge about the the history of ventriloquism. You mentioned when we spoke once that it was around in the time of the ancient Egyptians or something like ventriloquism. There's, There's stories of the speaking statues of Egypt. There's biblical text saying to beware the wizards that peep and mutter. Ooh. Some have thought that was a, directed towards ventriloquists. It's sort of in more modern times that it's been more fun and entertainment. Ah, okay. Well, let's get on to a, a, another theme. I think we're all dying to know. How do you throw your voice? How do you make it sound like it's coming from Sid's mouth rather well, than it's yours? A, it's a special skill to throw your voice that you're born with this. That you're, hold it, hold it, hold it. Coulter. Tell the truth. Well, no, uh, the, we throw our voices, and that's why it sounds like you. Oh, no, that's not it. These are our friends. The honest. Well, I don't. That's something I. Magicians don't tell their tricks, and I don't see why I should. Well, I can, you know, guys. I want you to know that the the truth is that. Uh, the, uh, yeah. Out with it. It's, it's hard to be honest, isn't it? Well, go if you're going to do it, do it. Well, you know, uh, I can't really talk. Oh, <gasps> my goodness. Really? No, no, Rhonda. Don't you? Well, well you brought it up. Yeah, but it's, Sid doesn't really talk. I, I do the huh. talking for him. Um, okay. Yeah. That's can, a horrible can, truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can, can, can you be as honest? Uh, uh, as honest about what? Without the ventriloquism. I think you should. <laughs> okay, um, there's no such thing as throwing your voice. No, oh, really? You've heard it all these years, but oh. um, Sid's voice comes from exactly the same place that my voice is coming from, uh-huh. uh, even as I talk. Yeah. So how come, if, that's, if I can't talk, and if Ron doesn't throw his voice... Then how's it happening? How come you hear the voice coming from me? I'm uh, flummoxed. Do you? Do, Do you hear? Oh, yes. Yeah, it seems yeah. to be coming from you. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's you doing it, not us. You see, it's still magic, even if the magic is in you rather than us. In this, I have an explanation. Well, go ahead. Well, in theater, this thing that's going on between us here and the audience, uh, if we, we, you know, if were, there were an audience, is called the suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. It's the suspension <laughs> of disbelief. There you are. See? <laughs> okay. Well said. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. In politics, it would be called persuasion. Mm-hmm. 
uh, in religion, it'd be called conversion. <laughs> but you see, it's you that's doing it. Mm-hmm. We're just suggesting it. So you see, we're suggesting the entertainers. Yes, you are like suggesting. Sean. Yes, yes, I <laughs> learned my can, lesson. Can about you uh, can you do what they do, Sean? I I don't think so. I I uh, I can't imagine. Uh, I can barely keep my mouth closed. Get your hand out of my back, Sean. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just fixing your vent. Keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> okay, you okay gentlemen, <laughs> can we just cool this down okay. a little bit? Oh, yeah, it's your show, right? It's Go my ahead. show. I'm in charge. So, um, well, it's, it's all very I'm sorry, confusing. I've, I've shot the whole show. I mean, we've, we've just shot the illusion, and so there's, you know, I don't... I, I, I apologize no, for... Don't okay. you apologize? Don't you do that. I did what I wanted. Well, I'm just... I feel humiliated. It's okay. Well, just sit there. Really, with, it's, with it's okay. It's okay. Is it? We'll, we, we can, are we'll we still on. friends? We're still friends. We are, Sean. Yes, yes, absolutely. We're all... We're all, we're all you okay, know, let's go ahead. It's all fine. We'll okay. continue. Okay. Um, so well, I, there there was this one time. Speaking about broken illusions, I, you, I think you collectively told me this story recently, where the illusion was in fact broken when Sean was in the audience and oh. you were performing. <laughs> that yes. was a terrible story and and fascinating too. Mm. Sean, perhaps could you tell us this this story uh, involving Ron and Sid, where things went? Uh, well, you know, awry. Uh, as you've as you've now experienced when you when you are an audience to Ron and Sid, you have to be prepared for anything and and Ron. And Sid are our masters at um, breaking illusion as well as creating it. So uh, I was in the audience uh, in New York watching uh, uh, a performance of, I believe, is a show you wrote called Jihad for Vent and Dummy. Yeah, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I hated that show. I know you did. <laughs> I know you did, Sid, and that's why you got top billing every night. Yeah, and uh, uh, and the big money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Always, he he travels in the very best Samsonite. So one of the uh, one of the amazing things about the show is that um, uh, it it deals a lot with the breaking of the illusion, and partway through the show, um, you know, Ron is is uh, experienced in the art of being humiliated on stage by Sid. Oh, poor and, Ron! And poor Ron. One night, uh, while he was in the middle of his act, suddenly went completely pale, and uh, and Sid lapsed into silence which is very both of those things are very unusual so to see yep. ron suddenly uh at a loss for words and sid to be likewise silent there was a long moment in the show where uh ron suddenly had to lean forward and say you know folks uh i think we're gonna have to stop yes and there was a there was a technical difficulty yeah, that i had you, never experienced can we tell that absolutely yeah. please well the show was going on as planned, and suddenly the string broke in to Sid's mouth. And I just stood there because we couldn't go any farther. I mean, his lip control would have been better than mine. Mm, I see. <laughs> and I, I'm going through all the options of what we could do. There's just no place to go. We were about halfway through the show. And um, finally, I just said, ladies and gentlemen we have a problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I told him what happened, and it's never happened in 50 years of performing. So... But so if, you had, if we had been on stage watching Abbott and Costello, and Bud Abbott had crumpled to the floor, uh, you know, and they'd called for a doctor, you couldn't imagine a more stricken or heartsick audience than to think that Sid 
was really in dire straits. And it wasn't just a matter of tying a knot. Yeah. Uh, it was a matter of going inside the head and removing the wig and going in. So by the, but by the next show, things were operating as normal and still going. I hope it doesn't happen here. Yeah, knock on it wood. Was sca- knock don't on you wood. dare. Sorry. Don't you dare. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Wish he'd keep his hands to himself. I'm sorry. I'm just jealous of your wig. <laughs> You're tuned, yeah. into, <laughs> you're tuned into Voice Box on KLW. Only you can make all this one earth seem right. Only you can make all the darkness cry. Only This is Voice Box with Chloe Veltman. We just heard part of a 13-song medley performed by a very extraordinary contemporary ventriloquist who specialises in singing. His name is Terry Fator, and some of you might know him as the winner of Season 2 of America's Got Talent, a ventriloquist winning America's Got Talent. Now, that's really interesting. Um, I'm in the studio with Sean Owens, a playwright and vaudevillian impresario, <coughs> and Ron Coulter, who's a ventriloquist, and uh, Sid Starr, his partner in crime. So uh, just to talk a little bit about the amazing Terry Fatal, he's from Texas. Um, he's capable of doing over 100 ventriloquial impersonations, <laughs> and he uses 16 different puppets in his act. Um, the examples we just heard right now um, were Terry Fatal uh, singing, obviously with his mouth looking completely shut and sounding exactly like the artist he was imitating, mm-hmm. which I think is what people find so amazing. But, I mean, do you have any other ideas about I'd love to hear from, from Sean and from... Ron and perhaps from Sid if he's interested in shipping as to what it is about Terry Fatal why is why have audiences responded to him so well well he's really talented and he had a new angle yeah Mm-hmm. He okay. also he also found those very distinctive voices that are in still in American popular culture, mm-hmm. and was able to you know imp- impersonators um, have always had to veer on the side of caricature. If you if you imitate someone too accurately, it doesn't sound enough like them. Uh-huh. So to be able to push past, yeah, and uh, and and to use a puppet to then accentuate that, I think is is genius. So. How does he do it? I mean, how do you actually... It's hard enough, right, to speak while you're uh, not moving your lips. How on earth do you sing while not moving your lips, Ron? I haven't the vaguest idea. (laughs) (laughs) That's certainly not what your singing teacher told you, is it, Ron? No, it isn't. Yeah, you have quite a troubled history with singing, don't you? Oh, I do. I was um, in college. I was taking voice, and my teacher said, finally, she said, Ron, you have to decide. Are you going to be a singer? Or are you going to be a ventriloquist? And you can tell he decided to be a singer because he's a lousy ventriloquist. I'm not a lousy ventriloquist. I'm a very good singer. Um, I could do a whole... I, I don't have to work with you. I could do a whole show without you. Singing? Right, and singing. I'll have you know, I happen to be a very good singer. Yeah, I've heard a lot about your talent. Oh, it's nothing. Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> okay. Nice. Hmm. So, well, perhaps um, maybe maybe you could tell us a little bit about why your singing teacher, Ron, thought that singing and uh, ventriloquism were incompatible. Well, I, 
it's incompatible because when you sing, you want a pure, clear, bell-like voice. Mm. And when you do ventriloquism, um, well, you, you listen to Sid. Well, you know, when, when you get this voice, you're doing everything wrong to your throat. Oh. And so it's hard to be a good singer. I'm the great singer that he isn't. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, maybe, Sid, you'd so, like to sing a little something. Huh? We, you and I could do a duet, you know, if you I wanted would to love switch that. partners. Oh, I would love yeah. that. Let's oh, hear a, a little duet. A Sean and, no, and... You know Moonlight and, Bay, Sid? Uh, Come on, let, how about we start? No, wait, I uh, was sailing uh, along. No, no. No, you don't no, know that no, one? No, no, I Way look, down upon the Swami? Yeah, I suppose, I suppose, Sid, you're a better musician than, than Sean is. Yeah, there isn't an instrument that I can't play. Oh, really? Is that true? Yeah. I can't play the violin. I can't play the piano. Okay. <laughs> oh. now, now that's stupid. Now, we, I think we're wanting to hear your voice. Mm-hmm. So if you would sing ah, we'd like to know how you sound. Uh, sing sing ah? Yeah, uh-huh. go on. Sing ah. Uh, sing sing ah. Yeah, uh, okay. Uh, how do you spell it? It's just a, like ah. Uh, ah. Uh, okay, higher. Ah. <laughs> higher. Ah. <laughs> Higher. Nuts. You're a soprano. We're trying to hear the sound of a pure bell. Well, the bell is broken and I'm using a buzzer. (laughs) (laughs) So actually, I suppose the key to to singing and ventriloquism might be in the name. I mean, ventriloquism, it means singing from the belly. It means right? talking. Oh, sorry, talking, talking from the belly. Talking from the belly, yeah. Talking from the belly. Yeah. Um, whereas when you're singing, I mean, obviously you've got to use your, your lower part of your abdomen for support, yeah, but you want, you, your, you want to use your voice box, yeah, whereas you're not really yeah, doing that. You can see that Ron has a lot of equipment. Uh, yes. Yeah. For, for our radio listeners, that's a, that's a terrible, terrible joke about yeah. Ron's weight. Yeah. That isn't true at all. Black is very slimming on you, Ron. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> If he didn't have 30 Whose extra side pounds are you on, on Sean? Yeah. Oh, sorry. All right, sorry. easy, easy. L- let's talk about breathing. I want to know about breathing. Breathing is really interesting um, because in ter- terms of pacing a show, you can't have much time. Like, I can't talk and a pause and then I say something and then pause and then Ron says something. You have to c- happens, has to ha- go back and forth very fast. Yeah. And so you have to breathe for two people. My goodness. And, um, like a pregnant mother. <laughs> I think more like a conjoined twin, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. The, um, in, I was never much of an athlete, mm. but whenever they had the tests, like in college, and breathe, whenever I would, I would go to the, like, the breathing machine to see what you could do, they would they'd pay no attention to me, and then pretty soon they're looking, and it's just going off the chart because I had a very large um, lung capacity. And then in, in swimming, I could easily do several laps underwater oh. uh, because of the breathing thing. And so that was my... That was my, my um, this is Ron Coulter, testimony of his own stamina, My own stamina, athletic mm-hmm. ability, yes. And of course, I float. That's right. That's right, because uh, you're made of wood. Yeah. Oh, you noticed. Yeah. What kind of wood are you made of? Uh, just uh, wood. I'm the, sort of the son of the lurch. <laughs> so he is. He is. And a fairly <laughs> naughty pine as well. Uh. <laughs> People are much the same everywhere. 
got my dog in a six-pack inside my truck. My wife rides in the back because she won't shut up. There's a deer in the headlights, and though it might be a sin, I gun the motor and run over him. It's a roadkill Christmas. Venison pretenderized. I can smell the beer from here. Christmas, cause they freeze when the lights hit their eyes. By the time we got home, This is Voice Box, and I'm Chloe Veltman. In the studio tonight, I'm with ventriloquist Ron Coulter and his sidekick, Sid Starr. Or maybe it should be the other way around. I'm with Sid Starr and his sidekick, Ron Coulter. And we also have with me theatrical... At last you get it right. Sorry, thank you. And we also have in the studio theatrical impresario and playwright Sean Owens. We just heard from a couple of singing ventriloquists. The first song, Love Surrounds Us Everywhere, was performed by Carol Green, who lives in Los Gatos, not far from here, in the Santa Cruz Mountains. The piece was a duet with uh, her dummy, Katie Lynn. And then we heard the American comedian Jeff Dunham and his dummy, Bubba Jay, performing a song entitled Roadkill Christmas. So the two songs we just heard were very much in in stark contrast to one another, which brings me to the whole issue of conflict. And we touched upon it briefly earlier on in the show. Um, Part of the art of ventriloquism, it seems to me, is about creating conflict between two opposing personalities. And and it's clear, obviously, from uh, from from your dynamics, Sid and Ron, that uh, that is it's very integral to the way you communicate. Um, I mean, you know, you're obviously dear friends from way back, and you can't hate each other because you worked together for so long. But we hate each other. Oh, really? Well, then, how do yeah. you possibly coexist? Well, I need the money. Mm, oh, yes, it's really yes, yeah, all job oriented. Well, what's in it for you, Ron? Um, I guess I'm a very sick man. Who, who needs to be put down and insulted regularly. Okay. And uh, if um, others don't do it, uh, he does it himself. <laughs> yes, with me. You know, I think ventriloquism is interesting. It really is, It like so many uh, art forms or partner art forms, there's always the partner who's willing to say the thing that shouldn't be said. And I think uh, Sid is an admirable example of that. Right. Actually, I had a terrible experience. I was with um, doing a Christmas show with um, Donna Sachet, the drag queen. Mm-hmm. And she took us aside and said we had to clean up our material a bit. When a drag Duh. queen tells you to clean up your act, That's you know trouble. you're, you're yeah. trafficking. One of the jokes, uh, okay, forget it. Not <laughs> not now. <laughs> yeah, this is public radio, oh, okay. gentlemen. Okay. Um, so I it, think she was right. Well, he, the, yeah, he's a dirty old man. Okay, and I'll stop it. <laughs> well, yeah, you know. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah it's okay. It's okay. okay. It's okay. I, he doesn't seem like a dirty old man to me. He seems like an incredibly nice old man. He's not even seem that old, actually. I'm not going to go there. All right. So here's a question. Another question for you, Ron. Um, is the why the, Ron? Well, this is one for Ron. This is not one you can answer. Okay, I I can do it. No, I don't think you can. It's for me. It's for me. It's for Ron, this one. It's all right. Go go ahead, Claire. Okay. Um, Just just listen. So, do you. Is it true that in ventriloquism, it's always the puppet that's the funny man and the human being is the straight man or a woman? Uh, Or are there instances um, where it's the other way around? And why would it be like. Why is it always the case that the puppet's the funny man? Um. Because it's so weird to the audience to see 
this my partner be so rude to me and and obviously against my will mm-hmm. you know i mean i'm obviously opposed to the things he says the things he does the things he says to the audience mm-hmm. um and i'm apologizing constantly i mean i'm the it would it's not wouldn't be very funny reversed i don't think although it has been done yeah successfully been, like in vaudeville there were ventriloquists who had a great big uh puppet and they sat on his lap and switch roles, that sort of things. Wow. All kinds of things have happened. That sounds like experiments, yeah. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. Maybe, Sean, you can talk a little bit more around this idea of conflict. Um, have you got any sort of thoughts about how uh, it works with it, conflict works within the realm of comedy in general? Because, I mean, we tend to think of conflict as being something perhaps more closely associated with drama. It's true, and yet uh, comedy is entirely dependent upon conflict and a certain amount of timing within that, which is one mm-hmm. of the reasons I think that the ventriloquist arts uh, are so effortless, as you said, the the tight breathing control and the, the, ama- the amount of snappy patter that's possible with uh, a ventriloquist and his partner. It's, uh, it's um, I think the, the tension is twofold. One is that people are watching a trick continue to be practiced and so there's a a heightening Mm -hmm. of that and then to have the comic um, uh, conceit that um, uh, Ron is at Sid's mercy although in this case I think that is very real and genuine and you probably should (laughs) seek help but uh, I do think that uh, to have a uh, to to have that element of a merciless colleague a colleague who is constantly besting you or um, practicing upon you appeals to something very human inside of inside of people and to watch an act fall apart on stage or seem to fall apart has always um, uh, really tantalized an audience. I mean, I think that's what who's on first is, is a a massive misunderstanding practiced upon first uh, between the two partners, but then finally upon the audience. They're the ones who realize that their head is spinning with the possibilities. I've really played with this later in my career, really played with this, uh, this confusion about who's talking and why and what, what's the relationship. I've written several one-act plays, which are not routines. They really are plays to be done for a ventriloquist and puppet. Uh, may I give one example? Sure. <clears throat> it's uh, called The Ruby Lounge Confession, and it's uh, done in a taut, tight spot, come in, and uh, I play Fred Markson, and I am Charlie Joe. And we begin doing like we're doing a cabaret act, but clearly things are wrong. The puppet wants to do one act. The ventriloquist is not going to do that. Their pianist never shows up, so they can't do the singing bit. It turns out that the the puppet, Jolly Joe, knows that Fred Markson has killed the pianist Ooh. just before coming on stage. Wow. And he's go he's and then he, the puppet is revealing his history and his time in in a uh, asylum and and these things are going wrong and finally forces him to conf- to confront the fact that there's blood on his hand and not the hand that's free but the hand that's in the puppet because he can feel it sliding on the controls. Wow, that doesn't sound funny at all. That sounds it, very serious. It's very weird because they get conf- so. Th- the puppeteer, the ventriloquist becomes so irate and irate that he's talking in the puppet's voice and the puppet is talking in his voice, which the puppet then points out to him. So anyway, it sounds it's fascinating. It's theater, not, yeah. just, not yeah. just a comic routine. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I mean, I'd love to be able to see some of these shows. You perform them around the Bay have, area yes. and elsewhere? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Have you got any of them coming up at all? I don't. I've pulled back a lot on performing. Okay. You're obviously waiting for a new vaudeville hall to open in San Francisco. <laughs> That's what you're waiting for. That could be the thing that resurrects, changed, it. Resur- resurrects it all. Um, what do you pay? Oh, uh, <laughs> we we pay as a top dollar. We we compete with the KALW. KALW, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe I can get you two glasses of water. Ah, oh, no. is this going to turn into get... a game of one-upmanship? I didn't not even... between you and I. I not didn't... unless one of us learns to sit on the other's lap. Yeah. Ah, I didn't even get a glass. It's true. I offered you a glass. Yeah, you turned it down. Yeah, you afraid I'd warp? I was afraid you'd what? You were afraid he'd warp. I'd warp, I see. Warp, uh, wood. Yeah. Yes, wood, wood, yes. That's a joke. <laughs> I know, I didn't understand what you said, warp. That, uh, you, I, I, I think uh, perhaps... Well, Coulter didn't move his lips. Right, well, yeah, yeah you have, maybe you need some elocution lessons, Sid. <laughs> I'll work on it. <laughs> we were talking about um, uh, angry uh, relationships between, or difficult relationships between dummies and ventriloquists. And I dug up this amazing song. I think it was probably performed in the 1970s. It features the theatre director Elizabeth Swardos, and she's performing a song um, about a ventriloquist's dummy that's angry with a ventriloquist and has had enough and is rebelling. Um, there's a scene partner who's in the scene with her who's singing the song. I'm afraid I don't know the actor's name, but um, I think this song hilariously captures the conflict between a vent and his puppets. So let's oh, listen great, now. Great. Just have to excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, but I must have a word in private with my partner. Look, what are you trying to pull? You know this is a big chance. We're being paid a lot of money. Now's the time you pick to stop talking. Is this an act? Is this a partnership? Is this an act? Oh, is this a partnership? Well, you, well, I've been doing a lot of thinking lately, and I'm sick and tired of being the dummy in this act. Either I get top billing or no go. Can't we discuss this later? Let's do the show. No. Can't we discuss this in the hotel afterwards? I can't talk in the hotel afterwards. Not a chance, Marty. You've made empty promises too long. Okay, you get what you want. Just tell me what you want, you'll get it. Tell me what you want, just do the show. Just tell me what you want, just do the show. You will get what you want. I get to sleep in the bed and you... Yeah, that's pretty great, isn't it? Yeah, it really <laughs> is. This is Voicebox and I'm Chloe Veltman. I just played a clip featuring the theatre director Elizabeth Swardos performing a song about an angry ventriloquist dummy with a scene partner. Elizabeth plays the dummy and she has a scene partner who's playing the ventriloquist. I don't know the actor's name, alas, but the song, I think, beautifully captures the conflict between uh, these two uh, artists, or the artist and his um, accomplice. Um, On tonight's show, all about the art of ventriloquism, I'm in the studio with ventriloquist Ron Coulter and his puppet partner in crime, Sid Starr, as well as theatrical impresario and playwright, Sean Owens. So um, it strikes me from having listened to some of the music we've played on tonight's show and talking with you gents that the thing about most ventriloquism on the radio is that it doesn't really matter that you can't see the puppet talking and the vent keeping his lips shut. Um, But I would say that it strikes me that this isn't the case with the singing ventriloquist because it seems like the reason someone like Terry Fator, who we heard earlier, is so popular is because audiences are absolutely gobsmacked by his ability to combine doing these amazing personations of well-known singers while not moving his lips at all. That's the whole artistry. But for vents who don't sing, the comedy is all about other things like wordplay and conflict. So we don't necessarily care about the throwing voice thing. Mm-hmm. Um can we talk about voices, though? Because, I mean, it strikes me that you have to, in order to succeed on the radio as a ventriloquist, you have to have a really remarkable voice, right? 
I think to be an artist on the radio, you have to have a fairly remarkable voice. I mean, if you, that clip you played earlier of Mae West, that was a very distinctive <clears throat> voice and a largely contrived one. You know, I think a lot of a lot mm-hmm. of the performers of that era, Bert Lahr and uh, Ed Wynn, were people with extraordinary personas, mm-hmm. and uh, to create that for one person or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's it's interesting that uh, you know I knew Charlie McCarthy's voice the second you played that it actually took me a moment to to place Edgar Bergen in that scene <laughs> I knew one voice better than I knew the other um, I spend quite a bit of time working with training ventriloquists now hmm. and so often they come with to to me and they have a really good puppet's voice mm-hmm. and so then we have to work on their voice to get it down mm. if the if the puppet's voice is going to be high so that there's a real different dis- distinction between the two voices. Which is very important, particularly for radio. Right. There should be a difference between my voice and then I should sound different, totally different. And I think, oh, do we do, don't we? Yeah, you do. You sound you entirely different. Do I sound like Coulter? No oh, bit. God, don't say I sound no, like Coulter. you don't sound like Ron. Oh, don't, I don't sound like Sid, do I? Certainly not. No. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, even. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, um... <clears throat> do you want to sit out here? No, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, you know, people who, who aren't lucky enough to be sitting in the studio with you and, and watching you, Ron, doing all this wonderful stuff with Sid and you're not moving your lips at all, except when you're addressing me directly, um, you know, back home, they must be suspending their Are you sense of disbelief. What? Are you blind? Am I blind? You can do this show blind? Blind? Yeah. Say buh. Huh? Say buh. Oh, you're nasty. Are oh, you going to go there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're pushing me. <laughs> And I'm just uh, disturbed that you run out the, you know, uh, one of the things, like Sid says, uh, 20 bottles of beer on the wall, mm. you know, and they can't, you can't do a good bee without saying 20 bottles of beer on the wall. And if I did it now, he'd move his lips. No, I, I don't have to move my lips. I can say 20 bottles of beer on the wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 20 bottles of beer? You're, not the, you're getting nasty. I'm the guest on this show, okay? <laughs> okay, I'm Okay, sorry. I'm out of here. Next, next you'll be I'm making fun of my obvious speech impediment as hey, well. Hey, Sid, yeah, wh- huh? who's the host? Is it me or is it you? Yeah, the, I'm the guest. You've been rude to the host. That's not wise. All right, look, I'm uh, very I'm very glad you're here, and I apologize okay. if I've caused uh, any offense. I'm uh, sorry about the bee okay, thing. Okay, okay, we'll just, okay. We'll just put it behind us, shall we? Yeah, okay. All right. Go ahead. Okay. It's a very classy do. I, um, I just hope I don't lower the tone when I get out my monkey. <laughs> okay, come on, monk, we're on. Oh, come on, we're here. Come on out. Do they know it's ventriloquism? <laughs> yeah, they do now. Do they know how I feel about it? No, I think it's a dead art. <laughs> come on, it's not. Where are we? We're in Montreal. Still? <laughs> yeah. God, it's endless. <laughs> it's not. Have you written any Canadian jokes yet? Canadian jokes? No. Who do you want this time, Chuck? I want to be a real boy. Oh, God, this again. I'm sick of being a stinking puppet. That's what you are, man. Face it, all right? I want to do the things a real boy can do. I want to, I want to steal a car and crash it. <laughs> I want to set fire to shit. You know something? 
You want to become human, grow up, get a job, get married? No! I want to live on the dole and pick up the hookers. <laughs> you say you want to be a real boy, but you lack the basic human qualities like, like compassion and gratitude. I have those qualities. Oh, really? Yeah. I feel sorry for this guy here and ungrateful I'm not him. <laughs> Why don't you be grateful for what you have? I'm Chloe Valtman and you're tuned into Voicebox. We're chatting about the art of ventriloquism with ventriloquist Ron Coulter and his dummy Sid Starr and also theatrical impresario and playwright (coughs) Sean Owens. We just heard two routines by great contemporary events. First Nina Conti from the UK and then the American ventriloquist David Strassman. Um, So, Sean... On your side of things, can mm-hmm. you tell us a bit more concretely about your plans for incorporating ventriloquism into the Gaiety Theatre project and how close are you to opening the theatre and getting going with it all? Well, you know, one of the important things about the, the Gaiety project is that it is existing um, without a theatre and will eventually move into a mm-hmm. space. There are um, a half dozen, at least, vaudeville halls in San Francisco that could be a viable location mm-hmm. for it. So yeah. finding the right location is um, a matter of finessing a little... Um, support from our city government and we're in the process of that but it, mm-hmm. that's slow going what's happening in the meantime is that we are finding uh, incredible um, sort of vaudeville era performers that are stepping forward and like Ron they've fused this this older art form or what we call you know what could be thought of as a lost art with a contemporary sensibility and that's really what vaudeville has always been it was it meant um, voice of the city mm-hmm. and so the idea that um, any artist can take something, an element like burlesque or uh, Christian Cadigal does it with magic right now. Mm-hmm. There are people who contemporize their art form and bring it forward. And so I think um, to take these old art forms and put them in front of people is the next, that's the next important step for us. Uh, the show that um, we're producing right now is about the sideshow. And I think it was important to have Left Handed Darling. Uh, I think it's important to have those kinds of art forms preserved or personified mm-hmm. in some way in the city. So that's uh, we're we're taking small steps towards uh, towards making that happen. Oakley used to do a show in the seventies, I think it was, in which they brought back the vaudeville performers, and some of them were kind of creaked when they did their old vaudeville acts. But it was it was really loads of fun. To see the real performers. Wow. Uh, I guess not too many of them are around still, huh? It's, uh, uh-huh. It is a dying breed, literally. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Vicki Marlene just passed away a few months ago. She was a woman who started, um, she was actually a trans performer. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so she'd worked as everything from the alligator girl in the sideshow era, in which wow. she painted her body with glue and dyed her the whites of rice green with food coloring. Oh my really? God. Yeah, all the way up to a snake dancer. And then she moved into the burlesque halls and finally ended her life uh, playing sort of the drag circuit in San Francisco, which I think that's our, that's proof to me that the vaudeville um, formula still lives and thrives here in the city is that we have, I think we have over two dozen drag shows happening throughout the any given month in San Francisco, yep. and they're basically variety shows. Sure. I mean, you you know, you you have a, a single gimmick sort uh-huh. of sustaining them, but these are individual performers mm-hmm. who have found a, a five or a ten minute act that can sustain them for month to month. So. Why don't you do drag, Coulter? Oh. No, I don't think so. You'd look mm-hmm. great in that dress. No, no, forget it. This is this is hard enough. I think this is I, a, a subject for a whole other show. Yeah, Ron in a dress. Yeah. 
Let's do it. But then we'd want television or so, or the internet because Ron in a dress will not work on radio. Oh, right. Ventriloquism <laughs> does. It might work better, actually. As a matter of fact, uh, I'll just say that Ron is wearing a splendid Givenchy off the evening frock right now. <laughs> and we'll let the suspension of disbelief He's carry He's making you from that now. up, folks. <laughs> well, on that oh, note, on I that note. It's ridiculous. Yes. Um, I'm going to have to say uh, that it's time to say goodnight, sadly. Um, our time is up. But I really want to say an enormous thank you to the three of you for coming into KLW. Yes, yeah, say it so for yourself. No. <laughs> <laughs> to find out more about Ron Coulter and Sid Starr, please visit their website at coulterandstar.com. And coulterandstar.com is spelled C-O-U-L-T-E-R-A-N-D-S-T-A-R.com. You can find Sean Owens and the Gaiety Project at foulplaysf.com. F-O-U-L-P-L-A-Y-S-F.com. Voicebox is an independently produced non-profit project recorded at the studios of KALW in San Francisco. The series producer is Seth Samuel, the web editor is Victoria Lim, and the membership and development director is John Bischoff. Voicebox needs your support. To find out how you can make a crucial tax-deductible donation to keep us on the air, please visit our website at voicebox-media.org. Donating is safe, easy and tax-deductible through our online PayPal link. Check out our free weekly podcasts on iTunes and via voicebox-media.org and also visit our homepage at voicebox-media.org to mull over and respond to the question of the week. We love to know what you think of us. Please friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and you can write to us anytime at info at voicebox-media.org or call us with your comments and questions at 415-841-4121 extension 3515. That's 415-841-4121 extension 3515. Children love to sing, but sometimes they can fall into bad habits if they don't have parents or teachers to help them figure out how to look after their voices from a young age. Join me next week when voice experts and American Speech Language Hearing Association members Sarah Schneider and Catherine Verdolini-Abbott will be on hand to discuss how kids' voices work and what keeps them safe when they break into song. Tune in next Friday from 10 to 11pm on KALW 91.7 FM San Francisco. I'll play us out now with a whole chorus of ventriloquists singing. Here's the ventriloquist dummy choir singing Barry Manilow's Weekend in New England. The recording comes from an episode of the Conan O'Brien show. Have a song for a week. Touch me.